0: Hello, I'm Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee Enterprises, and this is Behind the Headlines, where our host, Terry Barr, will be interviewing journalists from across America about what went into the stories that made an impact in their communities and the country at large. In this, the second episode of Behind the Headlines, Terry talks with Tulsa World Editor Jason Collington, Assistant Editor Kendrick Marshall, and reporter Randy Krebel. They share some of the new information learned while covering the anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre this year, along with the many things that remain unknown and why a search for answers still continues. That horrible historic event, which left 35 square blocks in ashes and hundreds dead over the course of Memorial Day weekend 1921, erased decades of success for African-Americans who had built solid homes and prosperous businesses in the Greenwood district of the city also known as Black Wall Street. Many believe it all started that spring day when a young black man, 19-year-old Dick Rowland, was accused of assaulting a white elevator operator, 17-year-old Sarah Page, triggering the mayhem that followed. What you'll hear in just a moment is the conversation that Terry had with the Tulsa World Editor and reporters who spent the early part of this year working on a deeply researched series of articles about the tragedy, which remains to this day Relatively lesser known across America. We'll have links to articles that they wrote and worked on in the show notes, along with other relevant information. So make sure that you check that out. And if you enjoy this episode, please consider subscribing to us wherever you get your podcasts and support local journalism wherever you live, since it's the work of those reporters that makes this and so many other shows that you likely enjoy possible. Thank you so much for listening. And here is Terry with Tulsa World editor, Jason Collington, assistant editor, Kendrick Marshall, and reporter, Randy Krebel.
1: Well, I would like to say uh, thank you so much to uh, Jason, Kendrick, and Randy for being here to talk about this really important story, something they gave a lot of their time to in the last year to uh, cover it. And also it was the anniversary 100 years ago the Tulsa Race Massacre, 100 years, you guys. The details still, it seemed, vary on what created this, what led to this. What did you find out in diving back into this story for the anniversary coverage?
2: Randy, go ahead. Okay, well, you know, this is something that we've actually been writing about since the late 1990s for about 25 years. So it's one of those deals where we were probably more familiar with it than maybe any other news organization. But at the same time, there's always, there's always new information and there's always new ways of looking at old information. So we tried to do both. We tried to come up with some, something new and then we tried to look at some things that we've written about in the past in new ways.
1: Kendrick, how about you? What in kind of doing the deep dive, both the historical aspect, but then also knowing it's 100 years later, how did this impact you as a reporter?
3: You come to find out, like over a hundred year period, that the event still impacts the city to this day. In terms of the Greenwood District, where kind of the main events happened in 1921, is no longer what it once was back then. And, and you can see how the people who live there are, are still impacted by it, the families, the descendants, even some of the still living survivors of the event are still impacted by it from hundred years ago. And one of the interesting things, I think at least in terms of a new story angle that at least I was able to come up with is explaining why the terminology from race riot to race massacre evolved. And you come to find out this was led by people in the community who felt that the story as it was told did not reflect what actually happened from the perspective of people who were victimized by it. And so you come to find out 100 years later that while it's still tough for people to refer to it as the massacre, they've started to since then come around to refer to it as that instead of riot. It kind of really gives a sense of like the people who were impacted the most control the narrative and, and maybe not us or, or, or some other entity.
1: When they went to the word riot, you know, when you're talking about the difference in words, did that also have something to do with if people would get paid insurance or some kind of stipend after all of this?
3: Yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. Um, in the immediate aftermath of, of what happened, law enforcement deemed it a riot in part because of what was described to them happening and also in part because the city, the state, Mm -hmm. um, the county would not be held liable for any damage that happened. And so over the years, as survivors and descendants tried to pursue legal action as a result of the massacre, they were not awarded any restitution because it was designated as a riot instead of a massacre. You
1: know, the violence itself, I guess, lasted, what, 20, 24 hours? ish and the damage and the, the deaths, like both of you have said, th- this is going to be everlasting. And um, I guess now I, I have understanding that the mayor is even trying to investigate and try to figure out mass graves and what to do about that. What is the hope with that? What, what is he actually wanting to do if they can figure that part of this whole thing out?
2: Well, you know, the mayor, G.T. Bynum, had yeah. actually brought this up when he was on the city council about five or six years ago. I think he feels like it's something that needs to be resolved, that it's that it's something that's uh, that's kind of hanging out there, and uh, the city owes it to, you know, really the people that were killed, but and then also their their descendants try and figure out what happened to them. But it's a very difficult task because first of all, we don't know how many people were killed and we don't know where We know where some were buried, but the feeling is pretty strong that we don't know where they're all buried. We know where about 37 people are buried. But from the very, very time of the event, the, 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 it was believed that the number was higher than that and it likely, quite a bit higher. So we don't know where they are and we don't know how many of them uh, we're looking for. And it's just, a, it's, a, it's a very difficult task. They've, they've had a couple of uh, excavations, archeological excavations at an old cemetery here in town called Oakland Cemetery. Um, the first one, which they thought was almost certain to reveal some kind of a mass burial turned out to be a place where uh, just uh, it was basically a landfill, a very small <laughs> landfill. They didn't find anything there. The second place, they had a pretty good idea that there were some people buried there, and the and the graves either had never been marked, or if they were, the markers had disappeared a long time ago. and And they did find something, some pretty interesting things there. At this point, it doesn't seem to really add to the The confirmed total, but I think they're going to get some interesting information and perhaps they'll be able to at least say, we know these folks remains are in this location and uh, we're either going to honor them in some way here or families want to move the remains somewhere they can do that it's it's a very slow process and it could go on for years. Right. And, of course, there's a possibility that the current mayor could leave office with it unfinished and the next mayor says, we're not going to do this anymore.
1: Jason, as the editor and knowing such a significant event is having happened 100 years ago this year, how did you dive into this and say to both um, Kendrick and Randy, go for this, go dig, go do you know, whatever kind of stories you can find. Why did you think this was so important for your readers to know more about this?
4: Well, uh, thanks to Randy, uh, he's he's been the leader and the expert in this unfortunate, horrible incident for decades. As he said, uh, he started writing about this back in the 1990s. And one of the things that we had to do is we didn't have to repeat ourselves. On the 99th anniversary, we made a special section that kind of looked back at the history of it. And what I challenged the staff, and this was an all newsroom initiative. This was, if someone wasn't writing something or photographing something, they were covering for somebody so they could write or photograph or edit it. And so we had several meetings a couple of years ago of what do we want to do? And we had a a 27 page document of ideas. And so I kind of went through that along with our city editor, Paul, and we figured out what are the stories that we could tell? Because again, I didn't want to repeat ourselves. I right. wanted to break some new ground in this area, and give the readers something that they hadn't read before. Kendrick and Randy both have written a lot about this over the last couple oh, of years. With the hundredth anniversary coming up, right. and so I challenged everybody: What are we going to? What can we do that we haven't done on this topic? Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Randy has has he's he's such the expert. He wrote a whole book about it. Uh, Kendrick, who who came here from Chicago, he delved he dove into it and found some things. And so I said, we had written about this a lot. The challenge for us was on the 100th anniversary when the president was coming to town, when we had every eyeball internationally on Tulsa, what could we provide that was not there before? Mm -hmm. And so we had interviews with some descendants that we've never interviewed before. Uh, Randy was able to find some things out that he'd never reported before. Kendrick found some new things uh, in his reporting that we'd never reported before. And we culminated all that, you know, every Sunday and every Wednesday in the months leading up to the anniversary. And then we put all of that into a 68 page ad free section that came out that Sunday before the anniversary. And that's all of Randy's reporting. That's all of Kendrick's reporting. And I think that we gave people, I know I, the feedback that we got from the community was, here it is, here is as much as the story, as we know up to this point and every angle, and we, our president, Bernie Heller, uh, donated 10,000 copies of that special session to our Tulsa Public School system. Oh, uh, wow. A system that had not really, in the past, talked about uh, the massacre very much in the classroom. Mm-hmm. And so we gave them 10,000 uh, copies that we donated for the, so they could bring Randy's reporting, Kendrick's reporting, the, the great photography from the archives, the photography from now, the voices of then, the voices of now, and to put that in the classroom like it's never been before. I mean, this was a this was not even a page in many Oklahoma history textbooks, and thanks to Randy and Kendrick and the rest of the team here, we were able to make a 68-page section that said, "Okay, here is what we know." Because Randy and Kendrick did what a lot of reporters did not do—they just reported what they knew. Again, all we we got to see uh, on prime time in so many of those documentaries, which included Randy and many of those people, just making up numbers, people just saying things that hadn't been reported through. So we had a big challenge because again, we knew that everybody was gonna be here. And so we had to make sure that we told that story like no one else. And I think that we accomplished that.
1: I wanted to ask you if you feel you uh, managed to do that and it sure sounds like it. It was an incredible team effort.
4: Yeah, an incredible team effort that again, it took everybody because again, making a 68 page ad free section in May is not something many newspapers do in twenty twenty one
1: I really appreciate you sharing how the students were going to be able to learn about this. That's so important. Um, I think that's really great that 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 is something that's going to move forward. What about the race riot commission? Now I've read that was formed in two thousand and one and and have either Kendrick or or Randy, have you learned anything new from it? Or is it not really going anywhere?
2: The commission was actually authorized in 1997 and it's, and submitted its final report in 2001. Ah, Uh, now there was a centennial commission then created in, um, I want to say 2015 or 16, and it it was a completely separate body. So the group that was authorized in 1997 by the legislature, they gathered information, uh, wrote a report, made some recommendations. A lot of those recommendations have never been really carried out. And that may be what you're talking about. but that, that body dissolved a long time ago. The question is, is anything going to come of those with those recommendations? And even some of the rec- recommendations that were followed have not really, I guess you could say they've been, technically they were followed, but they haven't really resulted in, in much. For instance, one of them is that there would be uh, scholarships for college scholarships for uh, young people who, who live in that area, and there is a, a scholarship program, but it's very uh, underutilized. It's hard, there's only two or three of them given a year, and it's not well known, it's not really been utilized yeah. the way I think that was envisioned. And then there's some. Other things that are still being discussed, well, one of the things that was discussed, for instance, was a memorial or a museum. And that, well, it, it culminated in uh, in a park, John Hope Franklin Park, and then sort of indirectly in a museum that opened this this year called Greenwood Rising. And then finally, there's some things, you know, individual reparations were one of the, in other words, some kind of payment to the victims of the massacre. And when that was voted on in you know, 2001, there were 100 or more survivors left. And now, as far as I know, there's only three of them who are considered people who are considered actual survivors. Um, we periodically have ones that had not been known about before and come up. But you got to keep in yeah. mind that. This happened over 100 years ago now, so I I have to think we're getting to the end of that. And that recommendation has never, uh, never been acted on.
1: I do know that two survivors were recently honored by your NBA team. And when things like that happen, do you feel like that at least continues to keep this story moving Forward, or at least out in the public eye.
2: I would say it keeps it out in the public eye. You know, on the question of should the should the survivors receive something, I don't I don't know that that changes much. But yeah. uh, I could be wrong. I, I think Kendrick might have a better perspective on it than I do.
3: Yeah, I mean, like the issue of possible reparations being given to the survivors has been something that Mayor Bynum has been staunchly against. He thinks it's divisive for the city of Tulsa, the, despite the fact of him wanting to move forward with trying to um, investigate the mass graves. And I've spoken with many descendants of victims, and, and they are on the side of reparations because their families lost a tremendous amount of wealth. A lot of them had the Leave Tulsa or leave the state altogether after the event and never returned. And so this has had a lasting impact on them for generations. And they feel like the city, the county, or the state, or someone associated with Oklahoma should do the right thing, at least in their eyes, and present them and their families reparations because this event is still impacting North Tulsa and the
1: Greenwood area to this day. So, what what have we learned? Where where does this go from here? I mean, those may be very open-ended questions, but you always hope that um, when you've worked so hard on something like this and you, and you get it into your reader's hands, that they learn something or feel something. What would any of you say you hope comes as the anniversary will now be passing?
3: I think one of the things for me was in writing about this, I've been writing about the race massacre and you know, on the Greenwood district for like four years now. And so what's been surprising to me during that time is how like a lot of people who live in Tulsa, who live in the Greenwood district did not know or was not aware of the race massacre even happening. And so just through that knowledge, you, you hope that our reporting in some way has helped enlighten more people to this story. As Jason mentioned, This topic has been taught on a limited basis in Oklahoma high schools and Oklahoma Oklahoma school systems. And so now over the last couple of years, we're starting to see uh, TPS adopt curriculums in terms of wanting to expose more students to this story. There's many more people invested in documenting the story nationally, internationally too. And we hope that at the end of the day, that people who read our coverage or who read our coverage in the past understand, like, this is something that really not only just impacts Tulsa, but it impacted the country, too. It's a part of our country's history, not just Tulsa's history.
1: Yeah. Randy, any words from you, any parting thoughts as we start to wrap up this podcast?
2: I would say one thing I would hope that, you know, people in general outside of Tulsa come to understand is that uh, the circumstances that produced the Tulsa Race Massacre were not isolated. These conditions, if you will, were prevalent throughout the United States. They happened to come to the head here and some other places, Chicago, uh, the Arkansas Delta, Washington, D.C., and, and a number of other places. We really need to understand uh, just you know, how I think in our in our collective consciousness or the story we like to tell ourselves about American history, we went from the end of the Civil War, slaves are freed, and we kind of skip over about the next 90 or 100 years. And we don't, a lot of people don't realize how ingrained in practically every, bit of society racism was and the role that race played in society and and, uh, politics during all of those years and the degree to which really a lot of people, but especially I would say Black Americans were kept from, from the opportunity that we like to think is part of the American character.
1: Randy, for you having covered this for so long, it's probably still never been any easier. And Kendrick, too, jumping in to do this. But it's such an important story. I just, just the shocking parts and, and realizing people didn't even know about it.
2: I think what it does is it illustrates how a lot of history gets glossed over. And it also illustrates how true it is that you know, certain people get to write the
1: history and certain people
2: don't. It has a lot to do with our perception of who we are and, and uh, how we got here.
1: Yeah. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for your time and, and for talking with us behind the headlines. Uh, that's what we call it. And that's where you took us. And it's it's so appreciated. And we really appreciate both of you as reporters. Thank you. Kendrick, good luck to you. And Randy, take care. Thanks so much.
2: Thanks. The
0: Greenwood neighborhood has never recovered. Every lawsuit supporting the victims has been tossed out of court. No charges have ever been filed. In the meantime, the Tulsa World Newspaper continues to ask for information and stories about the Tulsa race massacre from relatives or the public in general with hopes of more answers being revealed. Like I said earlier, uh, we'll have links to articles in the show notes along with other relevant information. So please make sure that you check it out and please subscribe wherever you get your podcast and support your local journalists, wherever you live, since it's the work of those reporters that makes this and so many other great shows that you enjoy possible. This show is a product of Lee Enterprises. Terry hosts the show. I edit it and we both produce it. I'm Chris Lay and thank you so much for listening to Behind the Headlines.